0: Seems like it's been a long time since I've been here to Kirksville. I mean, I see a lot of different faces. Quite a few that I recognize, but glad to be here this morning with the saints. I was really helped this morning by Brother Dick's word already. I mean, it was applied to my soul. It's not just for the little kids. Maybe that says something about me. I don't know. But it was applied to my soul. And what really struck me was the phrase, my cause before God. Now think about that. My cause before God. And the very next verse, he didn't go into that, but if he would have, it says, my cause before God who does great, and unsearchable things well, that kind of casts a different light on it, doesn't it? I mean, I don't know about you, but i sure I sure experienced the Molly grubs in a Conrad Merle euphemism from time to time, and really, the answer is my cause before God, isn't it whenever trouble comes so brother, i'd like to thank you for that that was. That was meat for my soul even this morning. Well, I would like to bring a message to you from the Old Testament today, however the Lord would help, and it would like I would like to bring it on <clears throat> this individual named Caleb in the Old Testament in the book of Joshua and chapter fourteen. So if you'd turn there to that and then we'll also be referring to numbers chapter 13 if you want to throw a bookmark in that place so we'll be kind of going back and forth a little bit i hope it's not tedious to you Joshua chapter 14 you know it seems like there are a lot of a lot of good things we can get just by looking at some of these Old Testament characters and seeing how they relate to one another, seeing how they relate to God and how He deals with them. And so that's what we just hope to do here today. Joshua 14, beginning with verse 6, Then the sons of Judah drew near to Joshua in Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, the kenizzite said to him you know the word which the lord spoke to moses the man of god concerning you and me in kadesh barnea i was 40 years old when moses the servant of the lord sent me from kadesh barnea to spy out the land and i brought back i brought word back to him as it was in my heart nevertheless my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt with fear but i followed the lord my god fully so moses swore on that day saying surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance to you and to your children forever because you have followed the lord my god fully i will stop right there for a minute And I've kind of tried to make some divisions here in the Word this morning to make it maybe a little more easy to understand. And I would divide it up this way in regard to Caleb. First, he was promised to inherit. That would be division number one. Then second, I would say that he was preserved to inherit. And then lastly, I would say that he was made fit to inherit. And as we go through the passage here this morning, we'll try and make some some uh, tie-ins with all of that. But first, the first heading, he was promised to inherit here. In other words, in Caleb's case, there was it was a little bit different than some of the other individuals. There were no lots cast for his inheritance. He was going on a promise. And this promise was given by God through Moses. To him. Moses was the man of God in verse 6. In verse 7, he is called the servant of the Lord. But here, this promise came to Caleb through the mouth of Moses. In verse 6, he says, You know the word which the Lord spoke to Moses, etc. Now you can kind of picture on that day almost Caleb taking his finger and saying, Now you know the word the Lord spoke. You see, there was a promise there. Um, if you re- reference back to Numbers 14 and verse 24, it's again a recounting of that promise. In verse 24, the Lord says, But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land which he entered, and he shall take possession of it, etc., so here we have Caleb, he's going to take possession of his inheritance and it's promised to him. Uh, another verse, you don't have to turn there, I can just relate it to you, in Deuteronomy 136, where it was being related in regard to Caleb again. It says, except Caleb the son of Jephunneh, he shall see it, and to him and to his sons I will give the land on which he has tread. So here's this promise given to Caleb for this land for this inheritance, as it were. Now, we as believers are also promised an inheritance, aren't we? It might sound basic, but it's true. We're promised an inheritance. There is a past tense factual sense in which that inheritance is already ours. And that's found, you know, in passages in the New Testament. I'm thinking of one in particular, Ephesians 1, verse 11. It says, In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined. So here we have the believer predestined to obtain an inheritance. It's almost, well, it is really factual past tense. We have obtained it. So it's out there in the same way that. Caleb was promised by God to inherit the believers, promised by God to inherit, you see. Another one, there's a sense in which there's a future tense, eventual inheritance, found in 1 Peter 1 4. We are born again to obtain an inheritance. Now, there, there's a sense in which you you get it in your mind, it's yet to come. It's promised to us. It's a fact. It's there. But we will eventually obtain that inheritance. Born again to obtain it. Now, he was promised, Caleb, here, to to inherit this portion of land because, the Bible says, he followed the Lord his God fully. His heart was given fully to follow God. Back in Joshua in chapter 14, again, we see in verse 8, we see the testimony of Caleb's conscience. He says, I brought word back to him as it was in my own heart. It was in Caleb's heart to believe God. For the land. Now, this is referring back to when he was one of the spies with Joshua and the other spies, and they went out to spy the land, you recall. And they came back. Well, most of the spies, they gave a bad report. Caleb says, I brought back word as it was in my heart. He had a faith, he had a belief that we could do it. God promised it. So, there in verse 8 is his own testimony. We see in verse 9 the testimony of Moses. Moses said, because you have followed, etc. So here's Moses saying, because you followed. And then we have the testimony of Joshua. He says in verse 14 of chapter 14, He says, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, fully. So there's... There's Joshua also testifying to it. But all of those things considered, the main testimony is the voice of God in the matter. And that's found in Numbers 14 and verse 24. We have the testimony of God. I just read that to you. "...because He has a different spirit and has followed Me fully." He was promised to inherit. <clears throat> So you see, my point is, here is this promise to inherit, even as we're promised to inherit. We have a promise to inherit that which is to come, the heaven, the kingdom of God, for those whose hearts are fully given to follow Him. I was talking to Mason this morning a little bit about a passage in Luke 10. You know, Jesus had some on different occasions came to him to try and trick him. and. On that occasion, a lawyer came to Him and said, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Here's this sense of an inheritance of eternal life. And Jesus said, What is the law and how do you read it? And He said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, Do this... And you will live. There's the sense. Fully committed to love of God. There was another place, I believe it was Mark chapter 10. Another one came to him and asked that same question What do I do to inherit eternal life? It's a different occasion. And on that occasion, Jesus began to cite some of the Old Testament commandments. And the man said, I've done these ever since I was little, from my youth. And Jesus said, but one thing you lack, go and sell all that you possess, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. And he went away sad. We have every reason to believe, at least in the account of Scripture, that he perished in his sin, because there was yet a lack. And what was lacking? Wholehearted commitment. There was something yet reserved. Reserved. So we say Caleb was promised to inherit. Then we go on to say he was preserved to inherit. Now we'll read some more here in Joshua chapter 14. Verse 10, Now behold, the Lord has let me live just as He spoke these 45 years from the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses when Israel walked in the wilderness. And now... Behold, I'm 85 years old today. What a thing. He says, The Lord has let me live. And he goes on to say, It's these 45 years. Now, what we're saying here is, Caleb is relating all the way back to that time when he went with Joshua to spy out that land and the other spies, and he received that promise through Moses that he would take possession of this land. He says, the Lord has let me live these 45 years. He was preserved for 45 years to arrive at this date in order to inherit. Now the saint is preserved in the same way. Preserved through his life, through this pilgrimage as it were, to arrive eventually in heaven and receive that inheritance. Preserved to inherit. Now what was Caleb preserved from? whenever we begin to look at it here, He says, the Lord let me live. Well, now what does that mean? Well, we find if you record, if you return back to the historical account in Numbers 14, I'll read a verse to you here. Well, let's just turn there. We've got it marked. Numbers 14, verse 37. <clears throat> this is the Lord speaking here. He says, In regard to those spies that brought the bad report, he said, even those men who brought out the very bad report of the land died by a plague from the Lord. But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh remained alive out of those men who went to spy out the land. So we have Caleb preserved from the plague that wiped out all the others that brought the bad report. He was preserved there. Well, what else? <clears throat> 45 years' time has passed by. What happened in that 45 years' time? Well, the whole nation of Israel wandered around in the wilderness. You know, that God's turned them around and sent them back. They wandered 40 years in the wilderness until that whole generation that refused to enter was wiped out. But who's still standing? Caleb and Joshua. Caleb and Joshua preserved through 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen a wilderness. Some of you have grown up. I know Terry has, and the, the LeBron family, you know, in the southwest. And you've seen some wilderness. Others of you have gone to different places and seen it. I've seen wilderness in Africa on the south of the Sahara there. When you stand there and look at it, it is so barren, it looks like it would take your life. Two days, three days out there and you'd be gone. But here we have Caleb preserved for 40 years of wandering in the wilderness to arrive at this day. And now he's having this conversation with Joshua and he's referencing that. He says, the Lord let me live. Preserved to inherit. Well, what else? There was 40 years of wandering. There was five years of battle in the conquest of the land of Canaan. Now think of that. Five years... Of incessant battle in order to conquest that land. And granted, at this point in time they're arriving at the end of that period. He's starting to to, to give out the inheritances to the different tribes and the different ones. And so five years of hand to hand, sword to sword, battle. He survived. He's still standing. Now what are the odds of that happening? A battle. Now your Christian life, what is it? If it can be described as anything, it's a battle. It's a never-ending warfare. We're fighting against a lot more difficult forces than the Canaanites. It is a battle. Ongoing. Continuing. What we're saying is there was a step between Caleb and death every time he took the field. But God preserved him. He came back. I think of verses like when the enemy rushes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord raises up a standard against him. That's a battle term in my mind. You've got a standard raised up, that's a battle term. You've got an enemy rushing in, it's it's like the war cry on the battlefield, swords drawn. But he was preserved. Preserved through all of it. I think of verses like, kept by the power of God unto salvation. Keeping. It's of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. There it is again, isn't it? It's all throughout the Bible. There's the enemy attempting to consume the believer and the people of God. Here's another one, to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before his throne. There it is. Keep you. So, we say he was preserved to inherit. Well, what about this idea, the third one I said, he's fit to inherit. Look at verse 11 of chapter 14 in Joshua As we go on in the text, he says, I am still as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me. As my strength was then, so my strength is now for war and for going out and for coming in. Now, what an astounding thing that is to make that statement. Now, how old was he on this day? Well, we read at the end of verse 10, he's 85 years old today. He was 40 years old when he got sent by Moses to spy out that land. But now he's 85 years old, and he says, I'm as strong now as I was then. His capacities, his abilities, his zeal, supernaturally, I believe, supernaturally enhanced and enabled to arrive at that point to be able to say, I'm just as strong as I was then. I am now. You see, He's fit, made fit to inherit. Now isn't that the case with the believer? We have verses that say our inner man is being renewed day by day. Another battle, another renewal. You ever wake up in the morning and wonder what's coming your way today? Well, you need to meet with the Lord and be renewed, supernaturally fit, day by day. He says, as my strength was then, so my strength is now for war. Here we are in a battle, aren't we, as a believer? I mean, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. There it is. There's a war going on. And you're right in the middle of it. And the sooner you realize it, the better off you'll be. Different texts, you know, we read about the flesh against warring against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. You can't do the things that you would. They're in opposition one to another. That's an idea of a war, isn't it? They're butting heads. They're in Galatians 5. But he says, I'm as strong as I ever was for war, for going out, that is, going out to a battle, and for coming in. I think you didn't have to drag Caleb back in. He was strong. As strong for going out and as strong as coming back in after a bad battle. That was Caleb. In other words, it's like he's saying I can still dish it out and I can still take it. Here at 85, just like I was at 40. You think of you know in cases of different believers, we have accounts in the scripture. You have the apostle Paul there in second Corinthians, what is it second Corinthians eleven all of the things that he went through, dangers here, dangers there, troubles, trials, assaults, how many times when he got to boasting you know in quotations there defending his apostolic authority and what he'd been through, he said, you guys." You don't have anything to boast about. If you want to boast about afflictions, look what I've been through. There's the Apostle Paul. But he was supernaturally fit and preserved through all of it, you see. And what was the conclusion? By the time you get to 2 Corinthians 12, the conclusion is, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in your weakness. That's supernatural, you see. You're not going to make it otherwise. If it's not divine strength, if it's not divine sufficiency of grace, you're never going to make it to inherit, you see. It's got to be of God. If it's of you, you're goners. The enemy's too great. He's too strong. Later on, the Apostle said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There it is, isn't it? So now we've seen Caleb... He's promised to inherit. He's preserved to inherit. He's supernaturally fit to inherit. So now we arrive at verse 12. And what is it that he says? In the words of the King James, he says, now then, give me this mountain. Give me this mountain about which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day that Anakim were there, With great fortified cities. Perhaps the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out as the Lord has spoken. Give me this mountain. You know, this is a reference back to Numbers chapter 13. If we have a flashback, you know how a lot of times when you're telling a story, you flash back. To something that happened in the past, and it gives more background and more light on what's happening right now. If you flash back to Numbers 13, I had you turn there and save that. <clears throat> He's talking about when he went out with the spies and they brought back the report. Numbers 13, verse 28, he says, Nevertheless, well, let's look at verse 22. When they had gone up into the Negev, they came to Hebron, where Ahiaman, Sheshai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, were. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zon in Egypt. Now this piece of information tells us they're talking about Hebron. It's the same place that Caleb's talking about there in Joshua 14, Hebron. Go on to verse 28. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land, this is the bad report. The people who live in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites are living in the hill country. And the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted down the people before Moses. And he said, We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we shall surely overcome it. You've got to like this guy. But the men who had gone up with him said, We're not able to go up against the people, for they're too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they'd spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone in spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And we're all people, and and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There also we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak are part of the Nephilim. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their own sight. Now this is what Caleb's talking about in Joshua fourteen again. <clears throat> he says, Give me this. Mountain, this is Hebron, about which the Lord spoke on that day, what we just read about. For you heard on that day, back there in Numbers 13, that Anakim were there, that is the sons of Anak, Anakim, you see, the sons of Anak. And there were great fortified cities perhaps the Lord will be with me and I'll drive them out as the Lord has spoken. Now you have mountains there. That represents everything that's inaccessible. You put a fortified city up on a mountain so you can't get to it, right? That's inaccessibility. Think of all the negatives here now. A mountain, inaccessibility. You have a fortified city. That's everything that's impenetrable. And you have the sons of Anak, giants, everyone that's invincible. But Caleb says, give me this mountain. Now what faith? Can you imagine? Here is a fortified city, Hebron, and it was no small thing. And it's up on a mountaintop and the thing is garrisoned by giants. I mean, how much more negative could you get? it'd make you want to turn around and go back for sure if you didn't have faith. But here, Caleb followed the Lord as God fully. He was persuaded that if the Lord's with me, I'm going to drive those people out of there. Give me that mountain. Not only was it mountainous, I mean in the words of the... Of the people, it was a land that devours its inhabitants. Now, think of that. That's vivid language there. And it was fortified. Someplace in Deuteronomy chapter 9, it said that the report was fortified to heaven. Now, I don't know if that's an exaggeration, obviously, but they had a bad attitude, didn't they? It's a land that devours its inhabitants, and the city is fortified to heaven. <clears throat> And men of great size, that was an understatement. In fact, what do we see in verse 15 of chapter 14? The city was named after a giant, the greatest of all the giants. I mean, here you got a city fortified to heaven on an inaccessible mountain, a land that devours its inhabitants, and the name of the city is named after the greatest of all the giants. His name was Kiriath Arba, for Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. Now what a a thing that is to have to face. Well, these giants. I want to focus a little bit on these giants here. In Deuteronomy 9, it's stated there that the Anakim were a people great and tall whom you know and of whom you have heard it said, who can stand before the Anakim? I mean, that was a byword, that was a phrase, it was a common proverb. You've heard it said about these people. Who can stand before the Anakim? What a thing that is. Now, I'm going to relate a bit of information here to you. You can take it for what it's worth. It may or may not be an urban legend, but as near as I can tell, it's not. In southeast Turkey, in the Euphrates Valley, this is in the similar area here that we're talking about, Graves were uncovered in a road construction project, and it was discovered a leg bone the the femur leg bone you know that goes from the hip to the knee that was forty seven and a quarter inches long now if you if you extrapolate that out in proportions of a normal man, this individual was fourteen feet tall now as I stated, this may or may not be an urban legend. As near as I can tell on the internet, as difficult as it is to arrive at a piece of truth there, <laughs> especially in something spectacular, I think it was probably true. But nonetheless, this other piece of information that I'll give you is in the words of the Bible, and I know it to be true. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 3. <clears throat> Briefly, in Deuteronomy chapter 3, there's an individual in verse 11 known as Og, king of Bashan. And we see there, for only Og, king of Bashan, was left for the remnant of the Rephaim. That's the giants, that's the Hebrew word. Behold, his bed was an iron bed. It's in Rabbah of the sons of Ammon, and its length was nine cubits, and its width four cubits by ordinary cubit. Now that puts his bed at 14 feet long and six feet wide. These men were real. There were giants in those days, and this is one of the Anakim, you see. <clears throat> the sons of Anak. They made more of an impression on the Israelites when they went out to spy the land than anything. They came back talking about it. In fact, they named three of them there in the passage we read in Numbers 3. I mean Numbers 13. And Ahiman, Sheshai and Talmai were the names of these three giants preserved there in scripture for us. Whenever Joshua (coughs) conquested the land of Canaan, it's stated that he drove out giants, but yet some remained. That piece of information is is Joshua 11 and verse 22. Some remained. And it even says where they remained. They remained in Gaza, Ashdod, and Gath. Now those are Philistine places. You recognize that, some of you, where the Philistines were, right? Right? Now who's the most famous giant that we all know of? It's Goliath, Goliath of Gath. That came way in progressing chronologically into 1 Samuel when David came along. So here you have a giant, giant of Gath, Philistine. He's a remnant of this very time, this conquest of the land of Canaan. In other words, they're never totally eradicated. And in the same way, you as believers, you're always going to face a giant. You're never going to get rid of those guys. You conquer one, just when you think you're done, around the corner is going to come another. And we're going to try and tie this in a little bit. I hope it's an encouragement. Maybe that's not really encouraging. But But here they were. They were still hanging around in the days of David they were never eradicated. <clears throat> in fact, let's turn to 2nd Samuel chapter 21 and we'll we'll try and make some analogies here to the Christian life, to our experience. <clears throat> in 2nd Samuel chapter 21, under the exploits of David and his men, we see in verse 15 now when the Philistines were at war again with Israel, David went down and his servants with him. And as they fought against the Philistines, David became weary. Then Ishbi Benob, who was who among the descendants of the giant, the weight of whose spear was 300 shekels of bronze in weight, was girded with a new sword, and he intended to kill David. But Abishai the son of Zeruiah helped him and struck the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swore to him, saying, You shall not go out again with us to battle, that you may not extinguish the lamp of Israel. In other words, you're getting too old for this. You need to stay back home and let us do it. Verse 18, Now it came about after this that there was a war again with the Philistines at Gob. Then Sibachai the Hushathite struck down Saph, who was among, again, the descendants of the giant. 19. There was war with the Philistines again at Gob. And Elhanan, the son of Jair-Origim, the Bethlehemite, killed Goliath the Gittite. This apparently is a different Goliath. The shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. There was war at Gath again, where there was a man of great stature who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, twenty-four in number. And he also had been born to the giant. When he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimei, David's brother, struck him down. These four were born to the giant in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. Now, all of this is going on and happening after Caleb. These giants are still hanging around. Now, isn't that intriguing? Now, that tells me there's an ongoing war with giants. The passage we just read there said in verse 15, they were at war again. Verse 18, there was war again at Gob. Verse 19, there was war again at Gob. Verse 20, there was war at Gath again. All of these different occasions. Another battle, another giant. And it was another man that fought him. So these giants for you are always going to be around. I hate to, to break it to you that way, but it's true, there's going to be another battle and there's going to be another giant to face. You see, you have David. He began his reign as king fighting a giant. And here he finishes his his reign fighting another giant isn't that the case they told him you're too old for this you better go back and stay at the in the fortress it was near the end of his reign and he was fighting another giant there are individual giants in other words here it is again Your giants are different than mine. In every one of these cases we read here in 2 Samuel, it was a different man facing a different giant. The one that you have to face today isn't necessarily the one that I'll ever have to face. And the one that I'm dealing with right now that's really trying to keep me from inheriting the kingdom, that which was promised to me, you might never have to face Him. But He's there. and just the fact that i've i achieved victory today doesn't mean i'm done with it i can't sit back and relax there's going to be another battle and another giant you know you had pilgrim in pilgrim's progress what was his giant it was the giant despair you recall that That lived in doubting castle there it is bunyan's telling you there's a giant out there and it's despair He's going to try and keep you out of the kingdom. He lives in Doubting Castle. That was Pilgrim's giant. Maybe it's not yours. Maybe you never fall to despair. I don't know. It sure seems like I face him from time to time. Here's another thing we can draw from this account in 2 Samuel. Sometimes you need help to fight these giants. Here's David, the king of Israel, valiant in battle. I mean, Saul killed his thousands. David his ten thousands. He comes up against a giant and he's got to have help. Abishai came along and finally took care of him, mopped up after him. Got rid of that guy. You might need help battling a giant. Don't be too proud to ask and seek it out. Seek out counselors and help. Even the strongest saint sometimes grows faint in the middle of a battle against a giant. Here's another thing. These giants, what are they out there resolved to do? They want to kill you. Here, at, here at Ishbi ben even got a new sword for the occasion. It was his intent to hunt down David and kill him. Now, these giants that you have to face, it's no small thing. We're not just talking about a little despair here and there. We're not just talking about a little sin or some little thing. We're talking about the shipwreck of your faith, whether or not you're going to make it to your inheritance. Giants are there to destroy you. They're resolved to do it. And so, we need the help of God. His sufficient grace and power. Well, what else? Giants, they defy us. They defy the people of God. You know, it was de- it was declared by Goliath, I defy the ranks of Israel. He stood there on that hill that way. You want to see a guy like that, get what's coming to him, don't you? I defy the ranks of Israel. And then later on it was declared about him that he taunted the armies of the living God. But God took him down, didn't He? So they taunt us. You ever You ever fall to a sin? You ever find yourself in a pit of despair or or some circumstance that's really turned against you in a bad way, and it's almost like you can hear the devil laughing at you and taunting you, you say you're a Christian. Look at you. Where's your faith? You don't have an ounce of it. Oh, it's true, they do. They taunt and defile what else? Giants are fearful. They're a test of your courage. Here this champion, Goliath, he was one man. He was called a champion. He stood on the hill, and the whole army of Israel, Saul included, coward. They turned and ran from one man. That's the way giants are. They're fearful things. You wonder if you could ever stand... You know, the Moabites, they had a name for these. They were called, and the name in Scripture was called emims. It's interesting when you do a little bit of study on it. That word is found in Deuteronomy 2 and verse 10, emims. And if you translate it out, it means frightening ones, terrifying ones. That's what the Moabites called them. Terrifying ones. It's also recorded there in Deuteronomy 2, 10 or 11, the word the Ammonites used for them. Zamzumims. And that meant mysterious ones. Here you have some things that they, they are supernaturally mysterious and terrifying. Well, that describes a lot of things you face as a Christian, doesn't it? It does in my case, I know. Mysteries. You don't know why. It's there. You don't know why it's so powerful. You can't figure out why it's got a grip on you. You can't figure out why you can't shake it. It's there, always. Giants. But one thing is an encouragement. Even though they are always going to be there, you're always going to fight one sooner or later again. An encouragement is the very end of this passage we read, they all fell to the people of God, to David and his men. He slew them all. Took them all out. I mean, what are six fingers on each hand in light of divine omnipotence? It's nothing. What does it matter if you're the size of a grasshopper in the eyes of a giant when he is the size of a grasshopper in the eyes of God? It's all about God. Well, that's a little aside on some of these giants here. Go back to Joshua chapter 14. <clears throat> And we'll go on here with this verse 12. Caleb says, Now give me this mountain about which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day that Anakim were there, the giants, with great fortified cities. Perhaps the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out as the Lord has spoken. That's the voice of faith the same voice of faith that was there 45 years ago, I mean, you almost get the sense that Caleb would be saying, I told you this back then. It's belief, nothing short of the belief in the promise of God. Perhaps the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive them out as He promised. You recall when Pilgrim was bound along with Hopeful there by the by the giant Despair in Doubting Castle. Do any of you recall in the account what finally got him out? He recalled he had the key of Promise next to his heart that opened every lock in Doubting Castle. There it is, the promises of God, isn't it? I think that's what Bunyan is saying there. It's the promise, laying hold on the promise. We're promised to inherit, aren't we? We're preserved to inherit, aren't we? He said we're renewed day by day by day. We've got to grab a hold of that promise. The emphasis here with Caleb is on the promise of God. He said, verse 10, He let me live just as He spoke. There it is, the promise. Verse 12, I shall drive them out as the Lord has spoken well, he says, perhaps the Lord will be with me. That is, the Lord of hosts will be with me. Now this morning we sang songs stayed upon Jehovah. Hearts are fully blessed. Finding as He promised... Right? Perfect peace and rest. There it is in a song we sang this morning. Our brother requested the song when he he finished with this demonstration. All the way my Savior leads me. There it is. All the way where? All the way to your inheritance. It's based on God. The promise of God. Well, Caleb says here, perhaps the Lord will be with me. Now this isn't the language of doubting. As if he's doubting, maybe God won't be with me. You know he's not doing that. Just by the account of the story, right? But I believe it's self-renunciation. He's saying if I had to do it on my own, I couldn't. But the Lord with me, that's the phrase you need to lay hold of there. The Lord with me. I'll drive them out. He doesn't have any confidence in his own self-sufficiency, in other words. He simply believed God. Now, back in the day when the spies went out and they gave that bad report, you know, and the Lord pronounced judgment on them, turned them around, sent them back in the wilderness. It was stated there <clears> of <throat> the word of God to the Israelites. He said, How long will they not? believe in me despite all the signs which i performed in their midst that was what he said to them before he turned them around and sent them back out it's about belief in god what he said they arrived at the at the land of canaan they didn't believe him that was the whole problem they entered not in the words of hebrews because of their unbelief right so, the Lord is amazed. how long will they not believe in me, despite all the works that I've done among them? But here Caleb believed, oh, how often I fall to unbelief i don't know about you, but that's my whole problem i think I think if you could trace all of my problems, I was crying on Charles's shoulder and masons' in the last few days about things you know that have a way of getting you down, you know problems you encounter and and uh different things in the church, or, or whatever it might be. And Charles said, I think you're believing some bad things. You're not believing some good things. Here's my own message. <laughs> I mean, I'm standing here preaching to you that way, and it's my own case. It just goes to show you the romance of preaching. You wind up pointing your finger at yourself when you're trying to... Bring the word to someone else, believing him. I mean, we have verses of scripture like this. If God is for us, who can be against us? How much more grand of a promise can you get than that? But yet, the very next thing comes along, and I'm just cowering. You know, woe is me. I'm beat down. I don't know what happened. I can't go on. I don't feel my joy anymore. And It's unbelief. It's unbelief in God, the God of the promise. Well, let's wrap this up. In Joshua, what happened here? Caleb says, I can do it. If God is with me, I'll drive Him out just like the Lord has spoken. Well, we see in verse 13, So Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. He said, alright, do it. It's yours. Good enough argument? You can have it. He gave it to him for an inheritance. Flip the page to Joshua 15. Verse 13, Now he gave to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, a portion among the sons of Judah, According to the command of the Lord to Joshua, the command of the Lord to Joshua, namely, Kiriath Arba, Arba being the father of Anak, in quotation I mean in parentheses that is Hebron. It's the same place. Caleb drove out from there the three sons of Anak, Sheshai, Ahiaman, and Talmai, the children of Anak. These are those same famous giants that made the knees knock of those spies way back in Numbers 13, back in the day, like they say. When they went out and spied out the land, they saw these three guys. They took down names and went back and reported on them. And it kept the people out of the land of Canaan. Here, Caleb took them. Drove them out. By name, those guys were still around. And he drove them out of there. Hebron. What about Hebron? The last fortified city to go down. The reason we gather that is because of the end of verse 15 of the 14th chapter. It says, then the land had rest from war. After Hebron, there was some rest. I don't mean to say that it was perpetual, but in a general sense, there was rest after Hebron. And it was the hardest for last, the most difficult for the end. It was the last city to go down, the sharpest trial reserved for the end. Isn't it that way for us? It might be. I mean, here you have death. What is it? 1 Corinthians 15, it's the last enemy. Is it not? It might be the last giant you ever have to face? We could say it would be the last giant you ever have to face on this earth is death. Then he might be a big one. But here it was, the very end, for Caleb. You recall again, Pilgrim. He's ready to go into the celestial city. What was the last thing he faced? He faced that river, didn't he? The River Death. The Great River it was called. death. In the words of Bunyan, <clears throat> one of the shining ones, the angel was standing there talking to him and Hopeful before they crossed over to pass in. And he said, There's still a trial left. It's this river, the river Death. And he said, You'll find it deeper or shallower as you believe in the king of this place. Hopeful, he started right out. He was, you recall, he said, It's shallow, brother. But what about Pilgrim? He said, I'm drowning. I'm drowning here. It was everything to just keep his head above the water. Hopeful was trying to hold him up, you know. Until what? He recalled the promise of God and it put his feet on solid ground. And that promise was, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the river, They'll not overflow you. And it gave him solid ground, and he was able to walk across. You see, promise of God. He does what he's going to say. He's the God who cannot lie, that promised long ages ago eternal life. You see, in the words of Titus 1. Hebron. Later, it became a Levite city. Later on, it became a city of refuge. Hebron. Hebron was the place that before Jerusalem came along and David was looking for a place to make his headquarters, he asked God and God said, go up to Hebron. He gave it to David. Now there's some significance here. But let's take it just a little bit deeper. The historical significance of Hebron. There was the cave there, the cave of Machpelah. Does that mean anything to you? The cave of Machpelah. In that cave were the bones of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, Rebekah, Leah, all buried in that cave. And that cave of Machpelah, where was it? It was Hebron, right outside Hebron. In fact, I'll read to you Genesis 13-13. Verse 17, these are the words of God to Abraham. Arise, walk about the land through its length and breadth, for I will give it to you. There's the promise. Then Abraham moved his tent and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Here it is, Hebron. Caleb took possession of it. That fortified city, up on a mountain, inaccessible, garrisoned by giants. It fell to Hebron, whose heart it fell to Caleb, whose heart was fully given to God, who believed God. All he did was believe God. Then he took it. How hard that is for us. Just to take him in his word and believe him. Well, Acts fourteen tells us. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. There it is, heaven, many tribulations on the way there. But the good thing is we must enter it. We will enter it. We're preserved. I think of the song, through many dangers, toils, and snares, we've already come. That's behind us. It should give us hope, shouldn't it? Grace has brought us safe thus far and grace will lead us home all the way to the end. Well, may God grant us faith just to believe Him. Just to believe Him. And like Caleb, to follow Him fully. All for God. All for God. Amen. All the people said, <laughs> Were not the Ethiopians and the Lubim an immense army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord moved to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Now here's an example of it in this man Caleb. That he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Well, amen. Let's be dismissed.